Is this something real or is this part of my infinite imagination? So difficult to tell these days. Um, and, <laughs> That's and, such uh, a great line. <laughs> everyone and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. We're delighted to have you with us again for another week, another conversation about another great script. It's true. I love this script so much. Uh, it was just such a joy to read this week. Um, it's got some really fun elements. I'm excited to get into it. However, we're, before we jump into the conversation around the script, uh, we did want to just tease the upcoming scripts that we uh, have planned for our themed month this season. That's right. If you're a longtime listener of No Script, you know that every season we dedicate four episodes contained within about a month's time where we discuss scripts which have some sort of common element or share something. You know, usually it is our goal to discuss a very wide variety of scripts from a very wide variety of voices about a very wide variety of topics and stories and 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 histories and contexts. And that's kind of the mission of no script in some ways, right? Is to just have conversations about plays and stories that come from all over. Uh, and every season, we kind of alter that mission slightly for one month to try to have kind of interlinking conversations of some sort. Longtime listeners will know in the past we've done a month of just musicals. We did a month where we discussed just Arthur Miller plays. We did a month where we discussed plays that have magic in them. We did a month where we discussed plays by David Henry Huang. We've done a whole variety of different kinds of themed months. And this season, we are excited for another strange variation on yeah. this challenge. We are calling the upcoming themed month series New Chats, Old Scripts. Yeah, so we've we've as we've mentioned in previous episodes, we've removed removed our alliterative um, <laughs> tendencies from the from the advertising for this, and excited for this kind of new um, uh, lens with which to approach this themed month um, by turning a new lens to scripts we've talked about before. So we we have uh, some fresh perspectives on some of the uh, some of the scripts that we'll be talking about. We have a, a kind of a fun mashup of our uh, traditions in that we'll be having a special guest episode in the themed month um, to talk about uh, a fresh perspective on a script and whether those fresh, fresh perspectives are a new person to the conversation or something from our experience, whether we've directed it or interacted with it in a new way. We're uh, stepping in to talk about some, some uh, new lenses that we've viewed these scripts through since we've done them, sometimes years ago. Yeah, so this will be four episodes about scripts we've already covered, and we're going to have kind of shortened, abbreviated conversations about those scripts with whatever the new lens, the new approach, the new insight we have had about these scripts that that uh, that prompt a new conversation. Kind of as part of our, our belief that it's not like you have one conversation about a script and then like your life is over or, or that the life right. of that script in your life 
life is over, right? You you may see a show, and then because of how theater works, you may see that same play uh, 10 years later in a different theater, in a different production, and that gives you some new insight. So that's kind of the, the basis on which we're going. We're not going to release the titles of the scripts on our general episodes yet. If you're a Patreon subscriber, which I'll talk about in just a moment, then you already know the names of the scripts, and in fact, you have known the not title of our themed month for some time yet. I'll just give one teaser, and the, the folks that are in my life already know this, that one of the scripts of our theme month is a script that I recently directed, and that that is the sort of new lens by which we will have a new conversation about this old script to the podcast. So it's that kind of stuff, and as Jackson said, very excited that this season, our special guest episode is in our themed month. That's something new to the podcast and uh, will definitely offer a new lens into a script we have already discussed. Yeah, so get excited for that. It's coming up soon. We'll release more information in the coming weeks. And get excited for today's script, y'all, because we are going back to uh, a familiar playwright to the show. We're going back to Brandon Jacobs Jenkins and his play, Everybody, today, which is... So we've talked about... um, had recontemporizations or not this isn't quite an adaption but it certainly is playing i think i, think in, I would call it an adaption yeah yeah, I, I, yeah. It's, well, got, it's certainly a fresh it, lens it balances between a translation and an adaption i mean there there yeah. are significant elements of the story changed so that probably lends you to say this is just a full-blown adaption but there are also significant parts of the story that are very the same Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a revernacularization with a very familiar um a very familiar structure, very familiar bones, even very familiar plot. Um so so yeah, it's an it's an exciting script and it's really um evocative, really theatrical in a lot of its uses. So I'm excited to get to spend some time uh with this script and with these characters. This is a, a great example. Have we said the title of the script yet? By the way, I'm a little lost. I in did. Our I did briefly. It you was did? very quick, okay. though. So you should. You should reiterate it, though. <laughs> Today we are talking about everybody, a play by Brandon Jacob Jenkins. Uh, everybody, of course, is a recontemporization, an adaption, a translation of the famous, uh, uh, oldest one of the oldest plays that we can get our hands on, uh, the play Every Man, which is quote unquote in the moral in the manner of a morality play, which comes into how uh, Jacobs Jenkins contemporizes the script. What I was going to say was that um, this play is such a strong example. And one of the things that I love so much about the way Brandon Jacobs Jenkins adapted this script is that he heavily leaned into the idea that form and content are going to align. This is a play in which the idea is the main character could be anybody. And so the form of the script takes that content and yeah. literally makes it how the story is told. We'll talk about that when we return from our discussion about Patreon. Yes, get excited for that conversation because it's going to have lots of of great sort of, uh, uh, yeah, talking about the the way that the characters all receive news that they are playing the characters is going to be really fun. And before we get there, we are going to ask everybody to please think about heading on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast. All one word, no hyphens, no underscores, patreon.com slash all one word, no script podcast 
podcast. That's the easiest way to find us over there. Over there, you can become a supporter of the show. We keep the costs down way low and crowdfund this thing because while Jackson and I love to do it, it's a great part of our lives, getting to talk about scripts, getting to read scripts. It opens us up to a whole world of stories and voices. We love doing it, but neither of us are rich men. In fact, neither of us are very uh, even modestly wealthy in the world. (laughs) So we couldn't afford to do a podcast like this. If you've had any experience trying a podcast, you know that it's hard to get away without any sort of fees. And there are definitely fees, regular occurring costs to run this podcast. Not the least of which is that it's very hard to get access to scripts. Uh, Libraries don't typically have a very robust collection of especially more modern plays. You can find somebody that has a copy. You can sometimes get away with it. But oftentimes you just end up having to buy the script. And we do a weekly podcast that runs the vast majority of weeks of the year where a new script is discussed every week. So that cost incurs the cost of podcast hosting fees, not to mention the time that we put into making this weekly podcast. All that adds up, and this would not be possible to do without the folks over on Patreon. If you're a supporter over there, huge thank you. As we say every episode, you are making no script possible for us to do. Literally, your contribution makes us able to do this in the way that we do it. If that's not you yet, if you're not somebody who's supporting the show, I'd just ask you to think about it. If you head on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast, you'll see we've got monthly tiers. You select a tier that fits your budget. The lowest tier is just a dollar a month, and that's where we encourage everybody to do. If you can afford higher, that's amazing. That's great. But that $1 a month tier, we think everybody really can afford and that you are – you're definitely getting $12 a year of value on the time that you spend with us is our deep feeling about that. So please consider it. A dollar a month supports the show. Uh, Again, there's higher tiers if you can afford it, and that's spectacular. But everybody who is a monthly supporter at any level on Patreon is ensuring that this podcast continues to happen. There are, of course, perks to being a patron, which you can check out over on Patreon. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who support the show. Yes, thank you all so much. means the world to us. We'll see you over on patreon.com slash no script podcast. And now back to the script. Here we go. I've more or less conceded that that is now your line. Uh, yeah, um, well, there so. was a moment where we were going back and forth. It's true. I remember it distinctly. And I actually remember being in the other version of my recording studio the last time there was really any doubt about who was going to say that particular <laughs> phrase. And I've got to tell you, now that we're recording in the mornings, it's like I can hit an octave on that thing. It's true. That I could it's never very dramatic. Forth. And this morning, we're recording even an hour earlier than we normally record. So I got like, I got way down Such bass. <laughs> All right, we are talking about Everybody by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins. Uh, Jacobs Jenkins is a familiar playwright to the podcast, so I'm not going to do a real deep dive on on him today. You can uh, check out some of our other uh, podcasts about that. But just to briefly say, uh, we, we've done his, his his play Gloria on the podcast. We've done his play Appropriate or Appropriate on the podcast last season. Um, uh, and his plays just consistently... Uh, 
just get knocked out of the park. <laughs> um, and our finalist for Pulitzer Prizes for Drama, he is, he is a prolific playwright, he received many honors, including the Helen Mirren Award for Playwriting, the Paula Vogel Award uh, from the Vineyard Theater. Um, he uh, was given the Steinberg's Playwrights Award in 2015, and on, on and on the list goes. The most recent one, uh, he was awarded the USA Artists and John Simon Guggenheim Memorial Foundation Fellowship in 2020. Um, fantastic playwright um and so so excited that uh we get to kind of jump back into another one of his scripts today um uh kind of turning to the play itself uh everybody is based as we've kind of said already is based upon uh the play everyman which was is is a very old play it's uh, one of the first plays that we have in the english language late 15th century morality play now i am not necessarily a theater historian though i do spend a lot of time in the theater realm and have studied uh, morality plays in the past but morality plays are severely based um in the english perspective and in the really the European perspective in uh, kind of Catholic Christian uh, uh, moralism and wondering around uh, life and death and what you do in life, how it affects you later in life. There's a great scene uh, or a great uh, um, uh, video from the Signature Theater, which is the theater that first produced everybody, um, where the director talks about how the prevalent thing uh, that was happening at the time uh, was death. <laughs> Like people were dying all the time in their 30s and 40s. And so the need to have some sort of way to approach death was very prevalent when uh, every man was written. Uh, so the morality plays were a whole set of plays that were done mostly with very religious uh, over and undertones. Um, and uh, and and so 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 that's the kind of base that every man is in this story of a person who figures out that they have to die and are trying to figure out how to do so well um, and who and what can they bring with them, if, if anything at all, into death. That's 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 my basic on the Everyman, which we're going to now leave and go to Everybody. Everybody, uh, the play written by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, as I said, riffs on Everyman. This play uh, first premiered off Broadway at the Signature Theater Company in February 21 of 2017. Notably, uh, that production included a Jocelyn Bio, uh, who uh, we've had uh, discussed on the podcast before uh, for her play School Girls or the uh, African Mean Girls play. Um, Probably one of the better known and more successful in the sense of her getting regular work uh actor playwrights out there yes yes uh yeah just and and also just just so many different plays that she pops up in it's it's fun to see her uh uh her story throughout uh throughout the plays of of uh of note in the last couple of years um, uh, that original production featured an ensemble of nine performers. That'll be, uh, that'll be of note when we get to the synopsis. Um, but that play, uh, though some reviews were mixed on, on everybody, you should see some of the people who responded to the play on the videos that the Signature Theater posted. Lots of playwrights went and saw it. Lots of actors went and saw it. And the way that this play speaks to people who do theater, um, and kind of speaks in the vernacular of people that do theater is, uh, is impactful. Um, it, uh, this play was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama and was also nominated for the Lucille Lortel Awards and the Drama League Awards. Uh, so again, another play of uh, Jacob Jenkins that is nominated for a Pulitzer. Um, uh, so so yeah, that's that's kind of the just the brief context of everybody. Uh, again, it's a fairly recent play, 2017, 2018 uh, sort of uh, era. Um, and uh, and that and in that way, it's kind of in that echelon of plays that uh, kind of, 
might get a resurgence now <laughs> um, because it happened right before uh, the COVID shutdown. So uh, it's a play that uh, had had its moment right before that and excited to see how it continues to emerge in the moments after. It is interesting to hear you describe, before I get to the synopsis, the original everyman script coming from this era in which people were dying a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and now to think about everybody, the contemporary adaption that was written just before the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, due to the pandemic and the nature of, you know, how we think about health crises nowadays, we didn't have a lot of theater in which everybody could have really spoken to a uh, a generation of humans that were uh, a lot more aware of death during a couple of years there and the immediacy and the sometimes randomness that the COVID-19 pandemic felt like. I hadn't thought about this script speaking into a group of people on the back end of a deadly pandemic. But mm, uh, yeah. boy, this, they, there's some ties there to the original Absolutely. version of script. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting part to think about of of the sort of weight that this play can have um, in connection to figuring out how death works in in this vernacular. OK, so everybody by Brandon Jacob Jenkins, the story is that a uh, a human being named everybody in the script is summoned before God by death in order to account for his or her actions while on Earth. Uh, that's sort of the broad spectrum of, of what the, the plot is. And before that person is going to go before God, in, in fear, in anticipation of death, they are going to many of the people and things in their life to try to recruit them to go stand before God for judgment or whatever alongside of them. And uh, one by one, those things out and out reject everybody uh, and are not willing to go with death to stand before God in judgment. Uh, and uh, everybody is then at the end of the play, everybody... Well, let me... So let me talk through how Brandon Jacobs uh, Jenkins adapted that story, because that's the broad story of every man, of course. In this version, uh, the play begins with a character who looks and appears for all intents and purposes, I believe, as an usher. I suspect if I were doing this production, I would actually have them usher and then stand up and and, and do the beginning of the play. The usher gets everybody's attention um, and then announces a couple of things, some phone announcements and stuff, but... Basically, they give an overview introduction to the original play, Everyman, telling everybody that it's in a really old play, that it probably was adapted from an earlier Dutch play, that it had this sort of very limited viewpoint on morality and death about how you sort of want to uh, be careful about uh, the things that you devote your life to and that none of them can go with you when you die. You don't want to devote your life to sin. Um, also talking about its potential Buddhist underpinnings. Um, and then that Usher character, becomes God through a sort of summoning ceremonial uh, uh, existence. God comes in and God gives a, quite a long speech <laughs> yeah. announcing that um, 
uh, basically the world has turned evil. My creation is not doing things that I intended it to do. I am going to go through the process of judging these people. So, hey, death, my assistant, and death appears. Can you round up somebody to come and give an accounting of their life before me? Now, death is described in the cast as the oldest person in the cast. And that would, I suppose, allow you some uh, flexibility because if, if they just have to be the oldest, then it's not necessary that they're old if everybody else is young. So it's just sort of determined by the cast that you uh, put together, I suppose. And this play really asks for a wide variety of ages and uh, orientations and ethnicities, a really broad spectrum of humanity, death being the oldest of them. So death then goes and wakes up a group of people that the script calls the somebodies. And in Brandon Jacob Jenkins' imagining of this, the somebodies are spread throughout the audience and appear as just regular audience members at the start of the play. And death rouses them one by one until there are, I think, total six uh, that death calls up. And um, these five somebodies are told, hey, uh, one of you is going to have to go give an accounting before God. Um, they all try to convince death that this is not going to happen, but death, uh, no one can disobey death is sort of the the sentence that Brennan Jacob Jenkins plays on from the original Everyman play. Um, so then death says, well, I'm going to be right back. Somebody better be ready to do this when I get back. The usher then reappears and announces to the audience one of the central features of the show and something that I would assume you are marketing heavily as part of the experience of this play, which is that who, what parts the characters play in this show from this point forward are going to be determined by random lottery. And I, I want to be clear that I this is not an act. It is not that the script yeah. sets up a random lottery, but then it's predetermined. That, that's your reading too, I assume. I agree. I, th I thought for a little while as I was reading, I was like, wow, like surely like preparation needs to happen. So surely this is a little bit of an act. But no, no, it's pretty. I think it's pretty essential that, that the randomness needs to exist to do this play justice. So you have this group of I think it's six somebodies because there are five somebodies plus everybody. But everybody is pulled from one of the six somebodies. And so basically the, the characters are all signed their parts by, you know, he suggests that you might use a lotto ball thing or a bingo cage or however you want to randomly determine it. And it's not just everybody that is randomly pulled. It's all the parts. So you'll meet along the way friendship and kinship and love and, and stuff and all these different sort of uh, representative parts of the human experience. And all those characters are randomly pulled from the ensemble too. So the usher says that there are potentially 120 possible variations of the casting. And so that night, the audience is likely seeing one that's never happened before in front of an audience. Um, so the, the, the everybody is pulled from the somebodies, and then the everybody starts telling this story about this dream that he, she, they had. Um, and the dream is the original part of death coming to tell them they're going to have to go before God to give a judgment. Um, and then the story starts to go back and forth between scenes with everybody and the rest of the somebodies as everybody is telling this story. And there is an insinuation that this story is being told on everybody's deathbed and that the somebodies have come around to hear the story told as everybody is dying. And then the story that everybody is telling about this dream 
uh, vision, uh, reality. There's a great line in there that's like, uh, I'll, I'll find it here in a second, but it's a great joke about the nature of the theater. Um, so it goes back and forth, right? So everybody is in these scenes on his, on his, her, their deathbed, and then in the actual story that they are telling about this dream vision. So the first thing that happens in the dream vision is that everybody meets friendship. Friendship is, of course, some sort of stand-in for like a really good long-time friend in everybody's life. Uh, everybody says, hey, friendship, can you go stand before God with me? We never may never come back. Death is coming. And friendship says, no way. I am out of here. Then we go back to a deathbed scene where they sort of talk about the story that everybody told, especially about the way that everybody's using language. Then they go back in and everybody goes to talk to everybody's family, represented by the characters kinship and cousin. Uh, everybody says, hey, kinship, cousin, you're my family. You want to go with me to stand before God and face judgment? Kinship and cousin say, no way, Jose. Uh, cousin then has a fairly long monologue, which is a, a translation adaption straight from the Everyman play by the character Cousin in the Everyman play about how, hey, basically the reason why nobody wants to do this with you is we all have to make our own accounting before God. I do not have time to help you with yours. I've got to work on my own. You can sort of see the uh, medieval morality sensibilities coming through there. Uh, back to a deathbed scene where they argue further about everybody, the way the language that everybody is using. There's some racist accusations thrown around. Then back into the story, uh, everybody tries to convince a character called Stuff, which is a representation of his material, his, her, their material possessions. Uh, hey, can you come with me? Because, you know, my material possessions are in some way a representation of my life. Stuff says, of course not. You can't take it with you when you die. Uh, then they go back to a deathbed scene. There's a bigger argument being had. The argument is escalating uh, about their friends. Then there's a great, great moment, probably one of my favorite moments in the script, where an audience member stands up to walk out. And everybody says, hey, what the heck is going on? Why are you walking out? The audience member says, this thing is offensive. It's boring. I have no interest in what's going on. I am out of here. And everybody eventually starts to talk to this audience person. And it's determined that this audience person is actually a character in the play called Love. Love, of course, well, I, I shouldn't say, of course. I'm not really sure what Love is representing. Because you'd mm, think yeah. on face it would be like, uh, a romantic sort of love relationship, but I actually don't think that's what Brandon Jacob Jenkins is after. Love says, hey, in order to pay me back for ignoring me this whole play, uh, why don't you basically <laughs> strip down naked and run around doing this sort of self-chastisement thing? In the original Everyman play, this was a scene with a character called Confession where Everyman actually like whipped himself in that sort of medieval uh, confessional punish, self-punishing sort of sensibility. But in this play, Love is sort of like a drill sergeant and has everybody run around, do all these crazy exercises while they do this sort of screaming, cathartic yell about, I have no control. My body is just meat. I surrender. I don't like change. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Um, we go into a blackout. We get a strange scene of dancing skeletons. And uh -huh. then we are back. Love and everybody are now both naked, and they are uh, ready to go and face whatever is coming next together. 
So uh, uh, everybody has, in fact, found someone to go with he, she, them into the afterlife. The Usher character from the beginning reappears and is now a character called Understanding. Understanding brings along other senses, which include strength, uh, the actual character called senses, beauty, and mind. And they all say, we are going to go along with everybody, too. When the time comes and the grave is opened and they're ready to go in to the afterlife to face judgment, um, strength, mind, uh, uh, beauty, and senses all abandon everybody. Uh, and so everybody is left with only love and understanding to, to actually go into the afterlife. Even understanding says, I'm not going to be able to go with you, but I'll watch and help you understand. But then just before it's about to happen, a character called evil appears who represents all of everybody's evil deeds and says, I'm going to go with you too, buddy. And evil, (laughs) everybody and love head into the afterlife with death. Uh, finally death reappears because something has happened in the afterlife. I don't think we're ever told exactly what. Death and Understanding have some conversation then with a character called Time. I didn't mention where Time came from. I suppose we'll get to that at some point. Um, And uh, that sort of ends the play with Time and Death walking off together. And the Usher character from the very beginning uh, giving a sort of pithy monologue about the experience of the play, what this play might mean to a modern audience different than the original Everyman play meant to the audience back then. Boy, you know, reading it, I didn't really, I knew it was a wild ride, but it wasn't until I just started talking about only the plot that I was like, boy, this really is a wild ride. (laughs) A lot lot happens in this, absolutely. And a lot of it is discovered as you go. You said a line pretty consistently over and over in your synopsis, and that was, looks and appears like. Um, there's there's this uh, kind of discovery that happens with a lot of these characters. The usher starts to play right off, seeming like an usher, and even like uh, going through the monologue as if as if he would. His monologue is about like turning off your phones. No, actually, turn off your phones. Um, then you have the the. Uh, Oh dear, the everybody's, not the everybody's, the somebody's, um, all emerging, uh, looking as if, at least initially, like they are actors, <laughs> or, or I'm sorry, audience members, um, who are just getting kind of yanked out of their seats. You have the little girl who uh, is yanked out of her seat in a scene and brought on stage and then kind of kidnapped um, uh, eventually uh, before she comes back as time. And it's clear, don't worry, we didn't actually kidnap a little girl from the audience. So you have this sort of like discovery, this, this, um, uh, uh, kind of raw nature in that um, it's not real. What what is that? In that sort of like trope of grabbing an audience member, bringing them on that that feels a little improv-y. Um, and a lot of this show feels a little improv-y, like that sort of real present moment of the scariness of this play. Yeah, the 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 script is doing a lot of work to create an experience which feels like anything might happen. And that's mm-hmm. not actually true in some sense because it's very prescripted. There are no sections, as far as I can remember, Jackson, that say, uh, you know, the characters improv a conversation about X right. or they react to the audience and say something. There are a couple of moments like, you know, insert name of theater here. But it, right. the script, it's a very prescripted situation. Some elements are random. Who's going to play what characters? And that does, of course, impact the experience in the story a lot. But in a lot of ways, this play is a sort of trick. 
right? It's it's a, it's very much leaning into the sense of the play, which is this could be any of you. Anybody in the audience, this could be your story. And in order to match that content, Brandon Jacobs, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins leans hard into the form of the audience involvement in the show. It's just that the audience involvement is is all a trick. It's all they're all <laughs> actors. Right, right. <laughs> Oops, all actors. Yeah, no. And then so so you have you have that as the kind of core um, uh, trick of it. But then you also have the. This, while nothing is unscripted, there is the sort of uniqueness of 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 the lottery for the characters that 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 bears or or ought to just occupy a little bit of our time. Just the like uh, if the difference between getting everybody on a night and getting say uh, kinship on a night is is a big scary thing uh, both for the actor but also an exciting thing for the audience to be in on um you know hopefully the audience believes it when they're there because it is such a uh, an um and it's an extraordinary thing to have to have left up to chance um, and and the sort of energy that it generates um, on a given night, especially like imagine doing eight shows of this, you know, just to grab a community theater schedule, do eight shows of this. You don't get every man until the last or everybody until the last performance. That sort of energy where all of a sudden everything is different um, is, is an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, well, and it's it's very much, uh, again, of that sort of form and content thing aligning, because if it is true that the character everybody could be a stand-in for everybody, then shouldn't it be true that in a cast that has a wide variety of orientations and ethnic backgrounds and ages, any one of them could play everybody? And Brandon Jacob Jenkins says, yes, I guess it is. So, hey, why not go ahead with that? And it's right. certainly, uh, it would be a huge impact, especially if you were an audience that only saw it one night, uh, of, of the story that you're going to get. I mean, anybody that's worked on any kind of theater knows how crucial casting is. Not necessarily just because there are people that are better and worse and you want a good actor to play the part, but, but who is playing a particular part tells a story. They tell that story by their personality, by their appearance, by the way in which they engage with the character. And I would think that all of that texture is part of what makes this such a unique experience. Who is the everybody that night? Not just which of the actors are going to play everybody, but who is everybody the character? Because the actor stepping into that part is going to bring something different that's going to change the character, change the story, even just slightly. Yeah, it's going to bring their history to the role. Um, they're they're like they're it, it, it's just it 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 um I love this adaptation and this choice because it really um ratchets up the like the original play Everyman um to to what it fully could be Everyman being written from its position as a pretty uh, male dominated society is called Everyman um and thus immediately. <laughs> 
cuts off a whole segment of society um, uh, from what it's trying to do, which is tell a unified story about all humanity. Um, and and what uh, Jacob Jenkins does in this this production, both with the title right away, changing it to everybody uh, already that hospitality more more humanity is is uh, Im- impl- implicated in the title, but then also saying and every night there will be a different everybody stepping into this role, a different set of history, a different uh, you know different relationship with the morality of the play is being displayed by a different actor that night. It's it really broadens out what the what the play was intending to do as a morality to its its fuller potential and and so much of the play is written in sort of deference to the fact that you're never going to know the identities of the people stepping into the various roles. A couple of more obvious examples of that. Uh, in the scene between everybody and friendship, there is a reference to them hooking up at some point in the past. Like, oh, wasn't that so awkward, but also great that that happened and our friendship survived after all that. I can't believe it. And you can imagine how, what a what kind of a story, what a different story that is going to be depending on who randomly draws those parts. You may have any assortment of not just genders and orientations, but ages in that particular exchange. Another one that's a little more subtle, but that um, is, to me, it's maybe a little more interesting in the implications. In one of the scenes in which the characters crowd around everybody's deathbed, they're, the, the, the conversation they're having about the vernacular everybody's using in his telling of the story or their telling of the story, uh, uh, there, there's some racial accusations made about the vernacular being racial and they go back and forth about somebody being so-and-so a racist. And one of the characters says, what, I'm not even white, you're white. That's yeah. an interesting line, I think, for this play when there is no guarantee that the character yeah. playing either of those roles is or is not white. Yeah, no, it's it would be it'd be interesting to see what a production decides to do with that, um, because it is that is one of the the odd lines in there that kind of grounds what is a pretty blank slate in terms of the descriptors of the uh, somebody's and everybody's. Um, uh, so so yeah, it is it is interesting to kind of have that that little bit thrown in there. What does that do on a given night based on who is playing everybody? Um, is a, another interesting part of that kind of live live fire that's going on. And again, the script is written in deference to this moment. So it's the character A, although it doesn't really matter. One of the deathbed characters says, what, I'm not even white, you're white. Everybody responds, whiteness is a performance, friend, not a genetic truth. A responds, I was making a joke. I mean, that little sequence of three lines, right, leaves open the possibility that the person playing everybody is not white because there's a reference to it being a joke, a reference to whiteness being a performance. But the point being, those three lines will change drastically based Mm -hmm. on who is playing that part. If this is a black woman who's being told you're white and a black woman responds, whiteness is a performance friend, not a genetic truth. And A responds, I was making a joke. I mean, it's a totally different moment. Than yeah. if it's a white man or a white, you know, it's it's just the 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 scripts has all of these little moments built into it, which really show off the genius of Brandon Jacob Jenkins, where the live experience, which is this experience of I don't know who's going to play the part, is really the story. And the script is just the words that you say to tell the story. 
Mm-hmm. It's also it's also kind to houses, uh, theater houses, to kind of have this in, this reason a a to like give their actors something really great to dig into and a really great experience for them, but also to give this reason for people to come back to the play. <laughs> um, it's gonna be a different play every night. Um, and 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 scenes like that or other scenes just kind of add to that sort of visceralness um, and excitement for both the audience and the cast. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, adjust us just a little bit, and uh, there's there's a couple things uh, that I really would love to kind of focus on, and one of them, as you mentioned in your synopsis, is love um, as a character. Um, love as, as this character that comes up, love uh, as a stand-in for some pretty significant uh, difference in character from the original Everyman play. Um, uh, you mentioned that Confession is stood in for um, uh, uh, by, by Love, and and also uh, Good Deeds is the other one that Love kind of steps in for. And and I wonder about that tension around that difference of Love stepping into that that role. Yeah, so I, I'm not... I'm not like an expert in the original Everyman play at all. I mean, I, I've encountered it in the past, but this 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 what I'm about to tell you is mostly just based on reading different synopses online. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I hope this is mostly correct. But my understanding is that in the original Everyman script, uh, how the play comes to a conclusion is that Everyman wants to take the character Good Deeds with them into the afterlife to face judgment. You can see why. Uh, but because of the weight of Everyman's sin, uh, the bad deeds they've done in life, good deeds is not going to be able to go along with every man. So every man goes to visit a character named Confession who leads him through the like self-flagellation uh, confessional exercise where he whips himself. Uh, and then due to that confession, self-mutilation uh, experience, his soul is now cleansed and thus he can take good deeds with him into the afterlife. So that basic structure is carried over in that every man discovers a character called love and love leads him through not a self-mutilation confessional kind of moment, but a sort of exuberant drill sergeant exercise with the cathartic, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. And then due to that, there's not really an implication that everybody's soul is cleansed, but due to something that happened in that moment, everybody is, is now love and everybody are prepared to go together. Now let's, let's talk about the difference between love and good deeds. I mean, the sort of change in, I mean, it's, it's really a change in the message of the whole play. It is absolutely. And, and, uh, and again, it moves towards hospitality and broadening the story to more people. Um, because love is, is, is definitely not the same as what Jacob has just described of what confession does. That's not necessarily a healthy view of confession either, uh, but that's a side note. Um, but, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the way that, uh, love stepping into that role and, and love and kind of connection, um, uh, living in a, in a wholehearted way to the relationships around you, their, their interaction between, uh, uh, love and, Everybody, um, as I agree, not necessarily one of like an, an attraction or a relationship or something like that, but rather a posture of love uh, towards 
a lot of people. Um, love kind of takes on this sort of meta theme of these are this is the way that you have loved well in the world. Um, and and so that that is definitely a difference from you know good deeds being the thing that climbs into the grave with you, and rather the way that you showed up to people, the way that you showed up to the world. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a different, uh, uh, pretty stark different in themes. The other stark difference is evil deeds climbs into the grave with them too. <laughs> Um, evil deeds is not done away with, and and I think that's not a not an insignificant uh, uh, statement either. That what you do in life still matters. Um, uh, like it's not you can't just go around and just hope that you can love better. Um, like what you do in life still matters. But but uh, but if you have loved well, um, in in the morality of everybody, um, love will climb into the grave with you. Yeah, I, I I'm not so sure that I. I agree with the way that you phrased the past tense of that. I'm trying to formulate, uh, to me, part of what is happening in this adaption by changing the character from good deeds to love is that it almost inherently, although this might just be me, I guess, but it feels to me inherently that good deeds is like a record of your good deeds. But I don't mm. know. To me, the character love does not feel like a record of the way that you've loved in the way that you described. It's more of an attitude. It's it's more of a present tense thing happening to me. Uh, love, for example, when when everybody discovers love in the audience and they're like pretending to be an audience member that might walk out and they discover that they're love, they say from the beginning that love was prepared to go on this journey with everybody. Uh, and because everybody ignored love, then they were prepared to leave. But now they're going to go along with everybody. Like, I, I wonder if the the implication is not that you have this record of good deeds, but that the the sort of partnership, the thing that remains, because really, really, I think the most crucial part of the love, and this is true of the good deeds character in every man, too, I understand, is that it is what is left over after beauty, strength the five senses, the mind, after those characters go away from everybody and there's this great sequence where when beauty leaves, the stage direction is just like everybody is now uglier. When strength leaves, everybody is now weaker. And it's up mm. to the production team to imagine how they would do that. In fact, I'd love to direct this play just for that, to, to sort of figure out how to guide the audience visually through this... Um, this progression as beauty, strength, mind, and senses leave everybody. But what is left over is love. And to me, that feels different than what is left over is a record of good deeds that you take with you. It feels like there may be an implication that you can still do, be, engage in love without when these things start to abandon you. Whereas it's like, I think that the message of the original Everman play might be more uh, when those things start to abandon you, I hope you've got a record of your good deeds. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, and that, that sort of... Uh, uh idea that you can continue to engage with them, I think holds pretty true because understanding hangs around for a long time too. Um, and, and, you, and, uh, everybody can continue to engage with understanding, but you can continue to engage in love past death, I think is the thing that, that, that is, that ends up being true. Um, uh, at least from the, the action of, of, of everything leaving. Um, and, and, but love is one of the things that doesn't leave in the end. 
Um, I, I wonder, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how Evil Deeds jumping in plays into that conversation. Yeah, but, that one's but strange, almost, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's almost too, like, like there's the the fun thing about this play is there's just so much going on. So any any sort of tack of 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 conversation, there'd be there'd be days that we could talk about these things. Yeah. Well, I I want to just shift our attention too to how Brandon Jacobs Jenkins frames the religious aspect of the play too, because of course this. Uh, original script of every man comes out of a highly specific uh, form of Christianity, which had very specific beliefs about God and the devil and, like you mentioned, confession and things like that. And this play is written for a broader contemporary audience. And so the way in which Jacob Jenkins handles religion or the fact that this play is to some degree inherently religious in that God and judgment are sort of the central plot yeah yeah the so if you're looking for like where to try to ground it in i think there's plenty in here to ground it in a in a you know a monotheistic god sort of uh religion um uh, but there's also the kind of uniqueness of of the first scene where usher is sort of uh, possessed by God or yaggered by God um, that kind of opens it up to a broader mythos as well um, that doesn't often happen in in monotheistic <laughs> religions uh, someone being possessed by God so uh, so uh, I, yeah I think I think while while it c- certainly assumes a God and a judgment in in that sense um, there's there's also plenty of room for it to be belong in this sort of I don't know like almost folkloric, mythos um that that it tries to adopt with characters like death or or these um uh sort of embodied virtues and things like that yeah well I, what i would say is that in the original the original everyman had all that stuff too right the sort of uh highly characterized versions of of different human experiences and death and such, but it was grounded from a very specific view of God and and the or the religious nature of the world. And I don't think this play is. Now it is true that the play has like a one God figure. However, throughout the play there is this running refrain, and it starts when Death first mentions God to the somebodies at the beginning of the play, and the somebodies react with this question. Question, God is real? And death responds, I'll just read death's answer here. Now, see, I'm never really sure how to answer that. I mean, doesn't that sort of depend on your definition of real? Like, I don't know what's real to you. What do you see? What do you feel? And why isn't it ever enough that I'm real? And so this little version of this refrain, basically uh, different variations on the question, God is real, and the answer, well, it sort of depends on your definition of real and your personal lived experience, run through the whole play. In fact, it becomes sort of a joke throughout the play. And I really admire the way Brandon Jacobs Jenkins takes this thing that is a joke that, that he makes into a joke. God is real. Well, it sort of depends on your experience. And it's sort of mocking the kind of ethos of, it's all your experience, man. Right? right. But he uses <laughs> that humor, that repetitive humor, to create a sort of feeling of the show that the 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 religious order of the worldview is not specific. That although this is the story we're telling, there is no 
uh, uh, behind-the-scenes actor saying, and this is because this is the very specific view of God, a very specific view of confession, of the devil, of good and bad deeds, of sin. In fact, behind it is a sort of, we don't know what happens. And in fact, that very question comes up a number of times as they discuss, uh, so when we're going to die, what is going to go, what's going to happen? And basically everybody throughout the play says, yeah, we don't really know what's going to happen. And at one point they're like, will we ever be able to come back? And death is like, well, I don't think so, (laughs) but you know, I'm not really sure about that. Right, right. And and even that that sort of posture of, well, I don't really know, um, uh, uh, is is a, a, a difference from uh, both death in, in every man and God in every man. God is in every man is like pretty prototypical God in every man. In everybody, God has some of that same stuff going on. That's sort of like, I don't know, really. Um, he shows up and, uh, and, and has this scene where he talks about, well, like, is this something real or is this part of my infinite imagination. So difficult to tell these days. Um, and, and, such uh, a great line. <laughs> um, and, and the way that he interacts with death similarly has not really, like he, God says that he is omniscient, but it doesn't really have that same sort of bent to it. He just says, death, take very, very like, very manager-esque. Death, just take care of it and figure it out. I don't want to tell you how to do it, just do it. Um, uh, so, you, so you have that same sort of, uh, we don't really know... <laughs> well, like there's clear that clear that there are these sort of uh, celestial or otherworldly beings that are here, but they don't have that same sort of weight as these these sort of uh, high or, or what is uh, pretty typically the religious imagining um, imagination of them. Yeah. Or even if it's not weight, because I do think that the characters carry the weight of the, them being real to the characters in the story and impacting their decisions and the stakes are high. I don't think we ever are led to believe that like this is not really happening to some degree to these characters. But so even if their weight is the same, their uh, solidness, their specific hmm. ideology, right? The worldview is not what is being presented to you in this play is 100% the actual way you should believe. Right, and in fact, right. part of the purpose of this play is to tell you that if you don't believe this specific exact thing 100%, you're probably going to hell. Right. <laughs> yep. Well, we're, 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 we're nearing the end of our time. Is there anything like other popcorn thoughts maybe? Because there's just so much more in this, this play. This play has such good one-liners. I really mean, good throughout, one-liners. Throughout, there's a great moment where uh, f- a friendship and everybody have had their conversation. And, and friendship, first of all, has a spectacularly awesome monologue when they first come on about like the nature of friendship and all the different things that make up a life and a friendship together. But then at the end, once uh, everybody has said, hey, I'm going to die. Can you come with me to face? judgment and friendship says no way i'm getting out of here friendship as they're exiting the stage is yelling my friend is dying but i've made art about it yeah (laughs) that's a great one uh there's there's the the other parts that i love in this play is how like the kind of alienation techniques that come out in the high theatricality of things the scenes between everybody and a b c and d are all uh are suggested that they be pre-recorded so you have people mouthing along to things um you have a kind of odd odds uh lighting for those scenes where it's a lot of like dark on stage sorts of scenes and even the dance macabre with the skeletons um uh is this sort of like out of nowhere 
nowhere scene um, that that has a I think a pretty profound alienation effect for what is one of the most heartbreaking scenes that follows it because this play is is mostly a kind of a comedic um, uh, uh, take on this process of figuring out that you can't take anything with you um, but uh, but that last scene where uh, the, all the senses slowly start to leave everybody has the potential for some real gravity to hit as everybody loses their sight loses their strength loses their beauty and and has to be led by love into the grave not really wanting to go um that that that, that is the potential for some pretty profound feelings to emerge and that sort of alienating skeleton dance right before it um uh i think serves to to help that yeah you're right and and there are many other techniques of alienation used throughout that we did not really have a lot of time today to really dive into one of the which is the use of titles all of the scenes in this play have very specific oftentimes jarring titles that I would assume you would involve, or at least I would, in the telling of the story. Uh, For example, the very first scene of the play is titled, Here Beginneth a Treatise on How Someone or Something... God, question mark, sendeth death to summon every creature to come and account for their lives in the world presented in the manner of a morality play. That's the that's the title of the scene. Yep. <laughs> Super good. I would definitely put those on stage if, if I had the chance to if I had the chance to direct or be a part of this production. It's a it's a great play. It's a play that has so many implications. Like as I said partway through, like you can have such long conversations about this play because it deals with a really unifying theme, and that is that everybody dies. So and it's, uh, it, th- that is made clear too, I think, in this play, and maybe that's the better sort of button on the conversation about how the the religion in this play is is made more general or made more accessible is that Brandon Jacob Jenkins really refocuses the play away from a specific human relationship with God into a relationship with death. And so even that quote that I read where death says it sort of depends on your version of real, that little quote ends with death saying, isn't it enough that I'm real? Like, despite what you think comes after death or what you think about God and the nature of the universe, death is real. And it is death, perhaps, that is the unifying everybody of this play for a contemporary audience, different than the uh, unifying here is God and sin and the nature of the relationship between God and humankind. That would have been the unifying everybody-ness for a medieval Christian audience. Hmm. Yeah. No. That. That. That's. That's. The, that's definitely the uh, a, ver- a version of the of the shift that has happened. And I think the sort of question the the, the question about the unifying experience of humanity that is in there. Um. That that uh, is is possibly as broad as it can be <laughs> um, uh, in terms of what you could go and see a play about and possibly find yourself in it. This play is phenomenal it's so good <laughs> um uh and uh glad to have had the conversation fortunately though we uh well I'll, I'll restart that alas we have to end the conversation but fortunately we don't have to stop talking about it um we'd love to keep talking about everybody with you you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com you can find us on any of those sites and they're great spaces to continue talking about plays whether you've been in this place 
seen it, just read it, um, uh, enjoyed the conversation, or have something you want to add to the conversation, a new perspective, those social media places are a great place to do it. We will see you over there. Absolutely. If you've liked this conversation or any of our other conversations out there in podcast land, you can send your family and friends to check out No Script the Podcast, and we would appreciate that. You can send them to Podbean, where we're hosted, but also Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, all the regular places. You can also like our Facebook page, and a link to the new episode will appear on that page every Monday for you just to click and play. We are coming up on the themed month. Refer to the beginning of the episode where we talked about it a bunch. Um, So get excited for that. Um, But before then, we're coming back with another script next week. So until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.